This is Tim from 77 Minutes in Heaven. Today, we're going to tell you about Luca's origins and how the Mavericks discovered him. Coming up next. Welcome to 77 Minutes in Heaven, a Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Tim Cato. I'm the Mavericks beat writer for The Athletic, and we've got a uh, we've got a new person on the show today. It's Sam Amick. He's a uh, national NBA writer um, for for us, you know, doing doing NBA stuff, good NBA stuff. And uh, over these past couple months, we have both been working on a a long reported origin story uh, about basically about how Luca ended up in in Dallas. So, uh, Sam, how, how are you feeling? We're uh, I think we're finally done. Tim, what's up, my friend? I'm feeling good. Uh, you know, it is kind of fun to record the pod right now because just to let your listeners know, it's it couldn't get more fresh. You know, we we just moved the story over from draft mode into the more formalized <laughs> WordPress, which is the platform where our stuff gets published. You know, fun process, fun project, and uh, look forward to to kind of diving into it with you, buddy. We we go deep. There there's a there's a lot in here. You know, I I knew some of the stuff just being around the team, but but I I learned some things. You know, I think I think there's Mavericks employees who will read this and uh, and and learn something about the process that went in behind it. I I just think that you know it's uh it's it's a deeper look at everything the Mavericks did to you know first find him, scout him, discover him, you know, put themselves in a position to draft him, and then going on you know develop him in, into the MVP candidate he is his today, and I think that. You know, it was it was a cool thing that that like I said, even someone as invested in the team, you know, I, I I was learning things about about the process, and you know, you as a as a national guy who you know kind of flits in and out of different markets, I'm sure you know there is even more that 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 was coming to your attention for the first time. No, there was for sure. I mean, full disclosure, you know, part of the inspiration to go down this road, at least on my part, was a couple of things that, for one, you know, as you know, my home base is Northern California, south of Sacramento used to cover the Kings as their Kings beat writer a lifetime ago. And Sacramento was certainly one of those teams that swung and missed. Well, didn't swing at all, but, you know, had a chance to draft Luca, took Marvin Bagley instead. Atlanta, obviously being the team that traded with Dallas, uh, the Trey Young trade, and the first rounder that went the Hawks way. And, and then you got Phoenix uh, at the front of that line with their decision to draft DeAndre Aiden. So for me, as, as a national guy, as somebody who doesn't end up doing a ton of Mavericks coverage, you know, you're just looking at this situation and going, you know, this is so interesting from so many different angles that you see a ripple effect on other franchises that that truthfully, that was where my head began because of where I'm based and seeing, uh, you know, kind of that element. Then you have this reality that just night in, night out, you watch Luca play ball and you're going, my God, like not only did they get it right, but they got it right from the five spot. And that was really where I started getting... <laughs> curious you know it was like it's one thing we're not going to write long form stories every single year on the team that drafts player x at player or at you know the third spot the second spot this was different this took creativity this took finding a trade partner and and, and moving up and not only that and we'll get into this but like the symmetry of the Dirk Nowitzki 20 years ago being the Mavs backbone centerpiece legendary player and then here comes a, another guy uh, in Luca, who is just a bookend talent, you know, and, and also certainly a, a European sensation, is just pretty incredible. 
Yeah, if you didn't mention that, I I was uh, going to with with Dirk and the comparison there. Obviously, you know he, uh, you know Dirk spent twenty one years in Dallas, and and just it's it's incredible that you know that it appears that they're graduating you know from from one European superstar to to the next one, and we'll see. You know, maybe maybe Luca isn't in Dallas in five years, but but certainly that's the expectation and, and the hope and 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 for them to go to Dirk to to Luca like this is is pretty incredible. And and I even think so. So we're gonna get into the chronological timeline of of you know, how they discovered him stuff. But I think for a second, we can we can talk about that, that dirt comparison, since it does kind of exist outside of the, the chronological aspect of this. And, and just that, you know, that, that they were, you know, I think superficially, there, there were a lot of, you know, there are easy comparisons to make. And, and I think those comparisons are perfectly fair. But, you know, there's there's also some some serious differences just with the way that you know, Luca was a established player. He was a, you know, he'd been living in the, in the big city, if you will. He'd been living in Madrid since 13. He had already, you know, made his move to play, uh, you know, major basketball uh, from Slovenia to, to Spain. Uh, and, and that move at 13, at 13 years old uh, from Slovenia to Spain, that was a closer comparison to Dirk going from the German second league to the NBA um, at, at 18 or 19 uh, to me. You know, I think that's that's really you know, a, a, a more accurate representation of, of, you know, when Luca might've felt that, you know, that pressure and, and that, that uncertainty and, and that, you know, unfamiliar with a, with a new place. Right. And so when he, right. when he did come to Dallas, you know, he was, he was a fully, you know, grown man, you know, he was, right. he was 19, but you know, he was just so mature and worldly and, and, you know, just none of this stuff phased him. So I thought that was a really interesting comparison. And, and Donnie Nelson, you know, uh, talked, talked at length. Uh, in fact, we quote him, uh, you know, a real long quote, you know, just a really interesting look into, you know, how there's superficial comparisons, but, but, you know, we're not exactly the same that uh, Dirk and Dirk and Luca weren't. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, you know, this is one of those fun stories where I think, especially since we collaborated on it, you know, you're going to have your favorite spots. So I'm curious, you know, where some of those might be or what you enjoyed the most for me, that Donnie Nelson material that you referenced and, you know, he and I, chatted in person at a Warriors game a couple months ago. That was where you know, he had shared some of that insight. I just thought that was so interesting. And to, to drill down on it a little bit, and you know, spoiler alert for the folks who haven't read the story yet, we're going to share some of the stuff in the story. But Donnie talked about how as much as he loves Dirk, he says, listen, I'm paraphrasing, but listen, Dirk came from the wine country in Germany. You know, Wurzburg is, is a place where, and he's like, no offense, but you know, what great basketball players come from wine country. And so Dirk had to, and I never knew this element at all. Dirk had to fight through, you know, culturally some things really in his head that by the time he came to the NBA, he was not like Luca, a guy who saw himself as a killer already and wanted to go out and show that he could play with LeBron James and the best players in the world. Dirk struggled in those first two years. And Tony Ronzoni, you know, the Mavs director of player personnel had even shared that, you know, he's very close friends with Donnie and longtime friends. That, you know, when Dirk was struggling early on, that they used to, quote unquote, joke, but not really joke, that they might be out of work if Dirk didn't figure things out, that he was struggling that much. And that juxtaposition of Dirk having such a hard time early on, but still carving out such an incredible, you know, legendary career and Luca just doing things at this point that Dirk never came anywhere close to at this stage, I thought was pretty profound. So the name, one of the names you just mentioned, uh, Tony, Tony Renzoni, uh, the director of player personnel, like you said, but really someone who has a, you know, far more broad reaching job than that. He is basically the the lead international scout or, or international, uh, 
you know, his, his job is, is to know every international player out there <laughs> more or less. And so, you know, I think my favorite thing with this story was, was getting to, you know, spend, uh, spend time in this feature, just, you know, talking to and, and getting to, getting to know, you know, in, in the words that we put down, helping the reader get to know who these people are. So it was Tony Renzoni. Um, it was Roberto Carmenetti, uh, who was a, a uh, Italy based, uh, international scout for, for Dallas as well. Um, those two, I think Tony and, and Roberto were two of the first, uh, you know, I, I would say the first two Mavericks employees to really hear Luca's name and, and really have a good idea of who he was. And so, you know, that's, that's, that's where the feature starts, uh, you know, kind of, kind of looking at, uh, I guess we, we started in 2017 because, you know, they, they, they did know about him before that. And, and there was an idea that they were waiting on him to to turn into this, you know, actually, you know, the the player they thought he would be to, you know, turn into a player they thought would be a number one pick who who might be a a superstar in every possible way. Um and the moment they felt he did that was um was Eurobasket when when he was he was starring for the Slovenia national team, him and uh, Goran Dragic. And and Slovenia, you know, a, a tiny country of 2 million, uh makes this unexpected run and actually wins Eurobasket and that was the moment that Roberto, you know, just texted back. You know, he texted, you know, all the, you know, all the, all the uh, people he directly reports to. One of them being Tony, and he's like, "This is, this is the guy. This is the dude we got to be paying attention to." Um, and, and so that's that's where it all st- starts uh, for for them. You know, the the real serious um, scouting and, and and attention being paid uh, to this to the Slovenian kid who's who's you know increasingly turning into a star. Right, right, and it, you know, just to to fill in some of the gaps there, Tim, I think. One thing that, that, you know, tangential to that, that I thought I enjoyed getting into in the piece was that through all of these different tournaments, through all, you know, there was so much attention on Luca. Nobody, you know, didn't know who he was in the basketball community. You know, you had him being so good and his profile growing so quickly that you had then the inevitable, you know, kind of nitpicking uh, of the prospect, which happens a lot of times with people who are extremely talented. And we get into some of this stuff too. And the idea that, from scouts to agents to executives, you started hearing things like, wow, he's incredible and he's playing with grown men and, and, you know, he's doing incredible things, but is his diet good enough? Are his habits off the floor good enough? Is, you know, is, is he a, is he a worker? Is he getting too in love with the money? Cause he's playing professionally and getting a pretty nice check, you know? And, and even for me as a guy who certainly grew up in America and has traveled in Europe a fair amount, you know, getting reminded that culturally in Europe, you know, if, if you're 17 years old, you can go to the club and, 18 years old, you know, you can have yourself a drink and you're, you know, you're within the law and all these different things that, that became part of the drafting Luca process where not just the Mavs, but every team across the league just wanted to learn as much as possible about how he was wired and how he ticked. Yeah. I remember that whole draft cycle news, you know, news process, you know, where, where, you know, there, it did seem like, you know, every other week that there, that there was somebody hinting you know, and this was this was most likely, you know, whoever these, you know, a lot of the instances was Intel being fed from teams to the media. And, uh, you know, and, and certainly some of it was accurate and some of it was, you know, just, you know, the usual trying to manipulate, you know, public opinion in one way or the Rebel other. Rebel rousing. Exactly. Yeah. A, a great word for that, truly. Um, <laughs> so, but I remember that news cycle and I remember, you know, with, with people whispering, oh, maybe he's a party or maybe he's this, maybe he doesn't really care about basketball. And he was always my favorite draft prospect. Um, it, it it seemed, you know, maybe maybe a couple months before the draft, I was like, well, there's no chance the Mavericks are going to get him. You know, it, it seemed like they were pretty, uh, 
you know, pretty far out, you know, and the lottery didn't go in their favor. And uh, that's actually something Donnie told me about. It was just the, the, you know, they felt distraught when the lottery didn't break their way. Not, not only, you know, they, were, they had the third worst record, the third best odds, and they fell two spots. In fact, Dallas as a franchise has never moved up in the lottery. They've, they've stayed the same at, at points, but they've never moved up, which is a, a pretty incredible stat. And, and, and in this instance, they, they ended up falling down a couple more, more draft spots. And, you know, they, in that moment, you know, Donnie was like, you know, this, I, I saw the future of the, the, the franchise, you know, kind of slipping away from me. And because I, I think they did, I, you know, they had hope at least that, you know, Luca was somebody they could maybe get their hands on and, and maybe he would, you know, be, you know, this next superstar for them. And, and, you know, they, they weren't certain. They definitely didn't know he would be this good this soon, but, but they had, they had a lot of faith in him as a, as a player and, and for the lottery to, to go against them was, was truly a heartbreaking moment. So, you know, just, just two months later for, for everything to kind of work out, or I, I guess a month later, because the lottery's in, in May, a month later at the, at the draft, you know, it, it, it became more obvious that, you know, that the first two, um, the first two teams were were pretty set, and, and that right. really led it to a you know they were picking fifth. Atlanta was picking third. They they knew that there was conversations to be had there. That there was some leeway that you know Atlanta you know had willingness or or uh, interest in moving down if if the right thing came about, um, and it did. And uh, I thought I thought that was an interesting process. You know they don't they don't talk too much about it, but you know what 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 do they say exactly? What what did you find interesting about revisiting that? that whole uh that that trade with atlanta um you know i mean it's it's this is in my time covering the league so you're going to go back to 2004 um i cannot remember a draft pick that applied more pressure to you know the teams that didn't take him you know this is really truly the kind of thing not to make it about a a non-mavs topic but that could ultimately cost people jobs you know vladi divats in sacramento you know we, we reported a couple weeks ago that King's owner, Vivek Ranadive, just cannot let this Luca thing go. And there are people who think Vladi might lose his job, you know, based largely on the draft selection. Marvin Bagley's been hurt for most of his first two seasons, and that just hasn't worked out. Now, listen, they've won a bunch of games recently, and maybe, you know, they ultimately don't make a change there, but it speaks to Luca's talent. And so uh, with Atlanta, it's a situation where, my God, how good does a guy have to be? In order for the team that didn't take him to have even the slightest bit of reservation, considering that the guy they did take, and let's also not forget, they took a different guy and they also got a first round pick. That first round pick became Cam Reddish, started terribly this year, has actually turned it around pretty nicely. We'll see what he becomes. But they got an additional high level asset, but they got they took Trey Young. And Trey Young is a guy who was not only, you know, not only also, uh, also on the All Star team like Luca. But a guy who is out there, you know, his first career 50-point night not too long ago, a guy who is um, extremely marketable that any franchise in the league, conceivably like in a vacuum, would be over the moon to have Trey Young. Yet you still get the sense that even to this day, there is, you know, a, the, the not, you know, decision not to take Luka has still left a little bit of a stink over there. And, um, you know, that is what to me is incredible. And in my whole time covering the league, I can't think of another player who, who left, you know, that kind of an imprint and especially one that I don't think is going away. At this point, we have a season and three quarters worth of evidence that Luca is a monster and a guy who, um, and this is as an offshoot, something that is real of real interest to me is like, man, that, that process of evaluating talent in the Euro league and then 
based on the time difference of the game itself to the stylistic differences between uh, EuroLeague and the NBA, like, man, trying to project the best players over there and what they might actually produce in the NBA is incredibly hard. And I I appreciated Roberto Carmenetti's candor when you talked to him. And it was in the story where he says that he thought that Luka would average 14, maybe 16 or 18 points a game in his first season. And, And the Mavericks admitting that they did not think Luka would be this kind of a scorer. I mean, he is a top three scorer in the NBA right now, in addition to being one of the best playmakers out there. Um, I mean, that's just the kind of stuff that that, that makes your head spin. Yeah, I think that uh, one thing that people kind of forgot about or or didn't realize about him was just, you know, his physical presence, his size, his his strength. You know, his his you know, just the way that he fills up on on a on the basketball court, you know, that and and there's people within the Mavericks organization who, you know, flat tell me like there's no way he would have slipped to three or, you know, would have had three teams passing on him if if you know if he had played over here or or if he had come to pre draft workouts, which he obviously couldn't right. do because he had the Real Madrid schedule, or you know, or even if they had seen him in person, you know, and, and I think that's that's an interesting moment. You know, one of my one of my favorite scenes in the story is uh is Tony and, and Donnie Nelson going over to Belgrade to, you know, to watch uh, the final four of uh, EuroLeague, different than EuroBasket. This is this is with the with the club teams and Real Madrid and, and Luca. Uh, you know, they're one of those four teams in the final four. And and uh, while most of the you know actual high level decision makers stay back in America, um, because because there's like uh, I guess draft pre draft workouts are happening and and interviews are happening with with prospects with American college prospects. Donnie and Tony kind of buck that trend and they say, no, 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 we're, we're going over there. We're going to make this trip. Um, they leave on a Thursday, fly overnight, make it to Belgrade just in time for the Friday night game. Um, and they have to hide out while they're there. Um, what did, uh, what, what exactly did Tony tell you about that whole thing? Cause I thought that was, that was just one of my favorite scenes in this, in this whole thing. Yeah. I mean, and this, even again, for as long as I've covered the league, this was like a little, the, the, these are, these were scenes that that are, are not familiar to me as far as the way that NBA teams scout, um, you know, that part of the world. And I was just digging the chance to to kind of have him pull the curtain back. So he talks about how the NBA combine is happening at the time, but they want to get over to Belgrade and that typically they, they would leave about a day in advance of most NBA teams um, and, and head out there on a Thursday while everybody else was trying to wrap things up at the combine, typically in Chicago. And, they head over, and once they get there, it, what they're looking at is they know they're in the lottery. They know they want Luca. They know they love this kid, but they don't, it, you know, it, it now becomes a game of cat and mouse. They don't want their rival executives to, to know where their head is at um, because it's one of those things where, you know, it, it's a little bit of a copycat league if you start seeing that, you know, this other squad that's pretty high on the draft board, you know, is, is really hot to trot for a certain prospect, then you might attract unwanted attention towards that player. And again, it sounds a little silly because Luca, you know, he was out there so much, but it doesn't matter. Like the Mavs made it, they just did not want people to know where their head was at. So that got implemented in very mysterious ways in terms of the, the trip itself. They, they normally would stay at uh, one hotel where most agents and executives, you know, and the, the entire NBA community would be as a place to schmooze and network and all those things and unwind after the, the night's affairs. Uh, they decide to not stay at that hotel to go to a more, you know, discreet location. Uh, and I even joked with Tony and said, you know, cause you're trying to get details like always as a writer, you know, can I, 
get the name of that hotel for the story? And he says, no, because we might need to stay there again. I can't tell you. you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed that part of the transcript a lot when I was kind of reading through your notes. <laughs> right. And, and next thing you know, they, they, uh, they, they've got a restaurant called, I'll probably botch the pronunciation, but, you know, Sese Moj, which is a Serbian national cuisine restaurant that uh, is owned by uh, somebody who Tony has become friendly with over the years. And the point he was making there was like, no need to mix it up and eat at a bunch of locations where you might run into NBA people when they would finish for the day and, and, and even sometimes not even just dinner. Um, he made it sound like they had every single meal during that four day stretch at this one restaurant. And that, you know, and he even shared a picture of the restaurant. That's where they would, you know, they would kind of saddle up and talk about Luca, talk about what they were seeing in that day's game and, and having their, their opinion crystallized and even go into the game. You know, they normally might get there really early schmooze network, talk to people, socialize. Instead, they were getting there around tip-off because they didn't want to have too many interactions. And then they even sat in the second deck uh, that, you know, got different tickets so that they weren't sharing oxygen with the teams that uh, that, that might, you know, come their way and, and maybe steal Luka from underneath their nose. I'm just imagining that restaurant has a couple locals and and they're just kind of looking at these, these two American dudes who are just like very clearly not uh, Serbian and they're like, what are y'all doing here? Right. Were, were, right. were you guys just here yesterday? <laughs> so, right, man, right. and I, to to be a fly on the wall there. Um, one one uh, other scene that I really enjoyed was, um, and, and this is actually something that. So so we had a little bit of the scene. We had it from Tony's perspective, uh, but the last interview I made was was uh, I called Donnie. Uh, you had talked to Donnie once, but there's just a few more things that I wanted to kind of run by him and, and see what he thought and and get his you know confirmation perspective, all that stuff and. And he told me how, you know, right about 30 minutes before they actually make that trade with Atlanta to get Luca, Donnie kind of steps out of the war room. And the war room is a, it's a busy place. You know, there's, there's phone calls and, and people talking over each other and, and, you know, like probably 20 people involved in that thing. And, and Donnie steps out and, and he brings Tony with him and, and they find like an empty suite. Uh, I imagine just, you know, probably the, uh, probably, uh, probably Cuban suite is if, if imagining, you know, kind of the setup in the American Airlines where they would have gone. And and just for a moment, uh, Donnie's like, I, I just I need to think about, you know, clear my head, think about what what we're about to do, what we're about to recommend to Cuban. And and just, you know, this is this is how it's going to, you know, it, it, are, am I certain I'm making the right decision here is am I certain that this is the best path forwards? Because, you know, they were about to give up a future first round pick and, and you know, in, in the hypothetical trade. And I think there's a few other scenarios, the trade that got, you know, batted around. And and so for just a moment, he steps out, you know, it's just him and Tony. And and this is a player they've known about for for now, you know, five plus years. And they're like, are, are we all in? Like, are, are we certain this is the guy? And and Renzoni says, you know, he, he says back to him, he's like, yeah, we've got to do whatever we can for a player we think is a star. And and, and that was it. And so, you know, they, they go in, they go back in and they recommend that course of action and the trade gets done and, and just like that, you know, that's that's how Luca becomes a maverick. And and I thought that was that was a, a cool moment of, of clarity from from someone that, you know, even you know, you have to have confidence in this league to to be to be in a you know general manager position, a team president position, of course. And 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 even then, you know, maybe not doubt, but you know, there is still just a, a level of uncertainty that, that Donnie still needed to convince himself oh, even yeah. after all these years. And I thought that was a cool moment of, of transparency transparency from him. Well, and I think they were pretty, to me, they were pretty transparent all the way through, which I respected because I tell you what, like as much as analytics have changed the game and scouting has become so much deeper than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago, 
the draft remains by and large a crapshoot. And writing and reporting this story reminded me of that. And it just left me in a place where I said, I mean, listen, full disclosure, there's times when I think it'd be fun to be part of a front office. And and I think, you know, I'd get a kick out of it and would bring something to the table. And then you you hear stories like this. Right. And you go, <laughs> my God, like your, your ass is on the line, for lack of a better way of putting it, you know, based on a, a, an informed decision uh, with an extremely high level of uncertainty. And, you know, to, to kind of put a finer point on your point, and when it comes to hesitation, you know, Donnie, first of all, would probably be the first to to sit there and go year by year with you and look at some of the draft picks the Mavs have had. And you'd have to admit that this guy didn't work out. That guy didn't work out. I mean, that's the draft. That's what it is. It can help you. It can humble you, you know, and, and this is in the story too, but you know, it's, it's pretty wild that, you know, the, the road that got the Mavs to Luca did partly involve their choice in 2013 to not take Giannis out of the Kupo, you know, and, and Mark Cuban has publicly taken blame for that. And, Basically, it wasn't part of their rebuilding plan. They wanted to hold on to max salary space. And so they ended up trading down that year. But, you know, it's, I mean, you talk about uh, an interesting kind of twist in fortunes where, you know, you think that missing out on a, a generational talent like Giannis would put you behind the eight ball for a very, very long time. And instead, you know, it ends up leading to something like this, which is pretty wild. I, I would become a GM for four straight days of Serbian food. I think I could handle that. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Tony might have the better gig here. You know, he gets to travel the globe. <laughs> you know, you get some some credit, but, you know, the blame publicly doesn't, you know, always come your way. You know, I think Tony yeah, might have yeah. it figured out here. <laughs> yeah, his his name only comes up in articles like this. Where we're just talking about, look at look at this amazing thing they did. So, um, right, I, right. I feel like we've done enough to convince people to read this piece if, if they haven't already. Uh, let's let's pick one more thing to talk about. Um we could do what? What do you want it like? So we could talk about the Kristaps trade, or we could talk about the the dynamic with Rick Carlisle, um, or we could talk, you know, just about last summer and how they really prepped him, you know, to 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 be this MVP or have this MVP like season, I should say, um, and and to get him to that state. Do do any of those jump out to you, Sam? I mean, personally, I, I'm probably would fixate on the Carlisle one. I think okay. it's interesting. I think it's uh, you know I. Rick is a guy that, um, I mean, first of all, certainly on the, the, the league shortlist of best coaches out there, there's only so many who can boast about rings and, and even beyond the rings, the work that he's done over an extremely long period of time, you know, speak for itself. But you also have like, you know, the one, like if, if there's one thing that people say about Rick, you know, the, you know, for quite a long time now, it's what is it? Well, he's, he's just really tough, you know, and there's times when he's, he's clashed with different players. And so in the course of doing this piece, we learn that uh, that while everything looks fantastic and while the Mavs are winning games and Luca looks like an MVP candidate, you know, like, yeah, you better believe there were some growing pains early on. You know what I mean? And and so, you know, my understanding is that, I mean, for one, it speaks really before we even get into the Rick stuff, it definitely speaks to Luca's competitiveness and, and his wiring and what you talked about earlier, Tim, the idea that even at this young age, that he got his kind of baptism by fire back when he was 13. So because of that, he's got very high expectations now. And so he, he hits the NBA. He's not starstruck. He believes that he belongs. And then when it comes to the functionality of the team, you know, every so often you, you have Rick wanting to take the reins back from him offensively. And then maybe a little bit of a clash, you know, at different times between them on that front, you have rotations that maybe Luke is not in love with. 
And you have, and you, anybody who watches Mavs games can see this. He gets very fiery very quickly. He's extremely competitive. And so making that work within the context of a coach and Rick, uh, Rick Carlisle, who's incredibly, you know, kind of hard forcing in his own right, uh, has been a process and credit to both those guys. They've obviously got it going in a good direction. Yeah, I think I think it's pretty clear that they have it figured out in a in a way that they they you know that that did take time and right away when when Carlisle came to the Mavericks, you know he had a very similar, you know, somewhat similar situation with Jason Kidd and they headbutted a lot and Kidd wanted more flow and and uh, less he, he didn't want the offense to be as rigid as it was. Carlisle, it took him a while to kind of give up that control and and we're talking Jason Kidd who. At that point, was already clearly a Hall of Fame point guard. I'll 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 shout him out. ESP, ESPN's Tim McMahon had a really good story. Um, oh, you know, don't just, do that! Don't do that! <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I shouldn't. Um, Man, only because it's McMahon, not because he's a rival. But it's 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 McMahon. He he yes, needs no. He yes. does not need that ego to grow anymore. But he had right. a, he had a really good breakdown. You know, a feature a few years ago about you know how how slowly over time you know kid did. Uh, you know, kind of turn Carlisle's mind around and, and head around and and ended up, you know, really reinventing the way that Carlisle thought about offenses. And and, you know, and, and you know, there was also a situation with Rajon Rondo that that, you know, headbutted in a bad way. So, you know, it's it's not you know, it wasn't all smooth sailing from that point. Um, and, and obviously the Rondo was the Rondo situation was a very public spat between head coach and, and point guard. But you know, in general, it, it is something that that Carlisle has, you know, dealt with and, and worked on and improved in, in some areas. And and it's no surprise that, that he and Doncic didn't always see eye to eye. But but, you know, the maturity in, in the process that of both of them to to work through this, I think, is a, is is like you said, a testament to each one. And so I agree. It's 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 an interesting idea, you know, obviously. Well, and it's also it's a testament to Lucas talent. Um, yeah. I mean, that really just if we're going to be real here, it's like that's. You know, the way it was put to me was like, it, it, and Rick's a smart guy. And it reaches a point where any coach knows, like, listen, this guy might actually lead us to the promised land. And, his, and, and he's so good. I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to have to let him win some of these battles because that's just, that's a, the way it's going to be. It's different when you're Rajon Rondo and you can't, you don't have that kind of leverage because you're not performing in that when, kind of way. You know what they say in the NBA? It's it's like coaches are always more expendable than than star players, and and obviously that's that goes for everyone. I'm not speaking to the situation right. in general. You know that is that is always going to be the case. So, you know, at some point, if if you, either you're going to get along with your star player or you're the you know a team will go find someone else who can because you right. know, it's, it's a lot harder that, to get that star. You know, it takes takes five years of yeah. scouting. <laughs> it takes finding a 13 year old in, in Slovenia and, and following right. them for five years to get to get a superstar. So, you know, we, right. we, we show we show in this article how much work that takes. And even within that, you see dynamics that I find interesting. You know, we talked a little bit about Jamal Mosley, one of the Mavericks assistants who, you know, is Luca's most trusted guy on the bench. If you watch, you know, you see it every time uh, you're out there, Tim, you know, the pregame. That's who Luca works with. Uh, that's who Luca jokes with. That's who Luca seems to be really tight with. And that can be a really positive thing where you have, a, you know, and I'm not close enough to it to, to say I'm necessarily labeling their dynamic exactly this way, but you will have on NBA benches with star players like a, a healthy kind of good cop, bad cop type of relationship. You know what I mean? And, and, and that is the charge of the head coach that is so challenging is that, you know, the, obligation to 
guide every guy on that roster and to overlook, you know, the entire group into, in, instead of these assistants who end up getting kind of platooned in, in different directions with a, a handful of players. But Jamal seems to have been real important in kind of helping uh, the, the whole balance work. I agree. And, and you're spot on with that, that kind of dynamic between those two. Um, there, there's more we didn't touch on, but, but I think, I think we, uh, I think we got a, got a full pot in. I think, I think we, we covered as, uh, as, as much as we needed to, uh, I'm just glad we didn't talk about coronavirus. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Fortunately for once we can just, you know, stay very focused on, uh, on the topic at hand because, you know, we had had plenty to cover. When are we going to work on another story? What's, 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 what's the next behind the scenes feature that's, uh, that that we got to tackle here, <laughs> man. Behind the scenes feature. I mean, you know, the headlines coming out of Dallas the last couple of years. There's been some good. There's been some very bad. Um, <laughs> you know, the uh, you know Rick's a tough nut to crack. I feel like we know his story. We know his profile. I mean, KP is. You know, we uh, there's plenty of meat on that bone. Uh, it's funny though, Tim. You you kind of alluded to this earlier. You know, it's. The Mavs talk about Luca and Kristaps like, all right, this is going to be so much fun. Hey, Mavs fans, you know, get ready for this next two decades. You know what I mean? And and I do wonder, and I have zero, like right now, just to be clear, the Luca camp does nothing but rave about the Mavericks. They they and they will even tell you. I think Mavs fans will find this interesting. Like all those teams that are mad about not taking him, the. Luca Camp is not mad about them not taking him. They are very happy <laughs> with where he is. And so, but the NBA being the NBA, I do, uh, I'm, I'm dying to see how the next couple of years go. And the question of, you know, is, is this love affair going to remain for the long term? These are very hard things to put together. Even if you look at another 20 year run, Kobe Bryant with the Lakers, you know, the, there were the times when he asked for a trade, there were times when things were not good. It, it doesn't, you know, it, the the a twenty year romance with no hiccups in between is very unlikely. So you know, I'm just curious to see where they take this. Yeah, it's not fair to expect Luca to be Dirk. It's it's you know, Dirk is the exception. He is the outlier. He is he is the you know the one of one once in a generation type player. So you know, as you know, you can expect a lot of things from Luca, but but to expect him to be you know go down the exact path Dirk did, you know, I, I just don't think it's fair. And unfortunately, I don't think that fans really see it that way either there i think you know at least right now and you know it's 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 the honeymoon phase right now but but everybody's you know everybody's pretty understanding and and you know there's nothing to be upset about right now anyway so uh let's wrap it up here uh sam it was it was a pleasure to both work with you on the story and and now you know kind of hash all this stuff out for 30 minutes um hopefully we (laughs) i'm sure we will end up collaborating on something in the future it might it might be months down the line but uh you know, it's always uh, it's always uh, fun to do that. No, for sure. And good work on this, man. It was it was a lot of fun with you too. Um, I was going to say maybe the collab will come during what could be the most interesting first round series. If you know, if if the standings hold up as I look at them right now, you, the idea of the Mavs and the Clippers and and Luca in L.A. doing his thing and and trying. I mean, you know, I mean, listen, I'm I'm not going to bet against them in a series like that. You know what I mean? I mean, the Clippers would probably win that series. But um, what the Mavs do in the playoffs, I'm, I'm very, very, very curious to see, especially with Porzingis playing like he has of late. I think that'll be fun to watch. I agree with you. Listeners, make sure to subscribe to The Athletic, uh, theathletic.com slash 77 minutes in heaven. You can, uh, you can read the story that, that me and Sam wrote there, uh, all 5,000 words of it. 
And uh, obviously read all of our other Mavericks coverage and coverage of everything, you know, just about it feels like that, that we cover. So, uh, Sam, thanks again for, for coming on. And uh, to everybody who listened, uh, we'll talk again next week. 